0: Welcome to the Mormon Marriages Podcast. I am Angeline Bagley.
1: And I am Nate Bagley.
0: As members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, we believe that the most important thing in life is your family. And the backbone of your family is your marriage.
1: So on this podcast, we talk with couples from the Church who provide amazing insights into what it takes to create a marriage that will make you look forward to eternity.
0: It would mean a lot to us if you subscribe to the show, uh, review it on iTunes, and reach out to us if you have any questions, suggestions, or ideas to make it even better.
1: Thanks for listening to today's episode. We hope you enjoy the show.
0: Hey, everybody. Hi. Long time no see, talk.
1: It's it's been a hot minute.
0: (laughs) (laughs) We sure miss you.
1: We do miss you.
0: Yeah. um, We've been a little MIA. This baby's about to pop right out of me.
1: Or maybe a lot MIA.
0: A lot MIA for sure. But I'm excited that we have this episode with Jennifer finley sin another Ask a Mormon Sex Therapist episode.
1: She's the best.
0: She is. And um, we actually did this live on our Facebook page a couple months ago and are now finally getting it on our feed. So we hope you enjoy it. Today we're talking about how depression can affect your sex life, how pregnancy can affect your sex life, which is very relevant for our situation. Is it? And then we also talk about polygamy, which was a topic that um, we've never broached on the podcast before, and it was a really fascinating conversation. So,
1: 100%. And just so you know, we have like, I don't know, 16 or 17 um in, not interviews, but conversations that we've been publishing weekly on Sundays on our uh, YouTube channel. So if you're craving some more Mormon marriages content, those I think those le- the lessons have been really well received. Uh, so feel free to jump over to the YouTube channel, and we'll probably end up publishing some of those here in the podcast feed as well. But Once
0: baby comes, it'll probably be our way to supplement. <laughs> yeah,
1: my guess is that episodes won't be going up as regularly for the next couple of weeks just because... Angeline is um heavily with child.
0: I'm now 38 weeks pregnant.
1: Thirty-eight weeks.
0: So baby can come literally any day now. We're excited. We're stoked.
1: Nervous. So stoked. Crazy. Anyway, hope you enjoy today's show. We're and jump right we- in. As always, we appreciate having you tune in. And we're live. Hi. Hello, internet. <laughs> Welcome, Jennifer. Thanks for having me. Hey, you know what? We're always happy to have you. It's yeah, it's a joy.
2: It's been too long. I can't I even know. remember when we did the I last. We've had, we've had lots of time <laughs> between these all pre, pre-COVID, often. I think. You know, we went well.
1: We went a little radio silent for a while too, because Angie's first trimester was pretty brutal. So yeah,
2: that's
1: um, hard. yeah. Glad to have you back in the back in the house.
2: Yeah, thank you. Good to be here. Um,
1: let's. Uh, well, before we dive in, do you want to talk about anything that you've got coming up for people who are tuning in oh. live and? Good question. Thanks.
2: Uh, let's see. Um, what do we have? Um, well, it's been a little, we had to cancel four things just because of oh, COVID. Right. Mom, so mom, mom. Yeah. I get that. <laughs> too. Yeah. So, but we currently have a couples retreat scheduled for October 22nd to 28th in Jackson hole. And we will do the first three days on the relationship, a relationship seminar. And it's awesome. And you stay overnight there and you have catered meals then everybody has Sunday off and then there's the sexuality seminar that's three days. And you can come oh. for the whole time, or you can come for one of those two some of those two you know, parts. So Sounds and then delightful. we're yeah, and then we're also in September. We had to cancel or postpone our Dallas Art of Desire workshop, which is two days, and we are planning to come back and do that in October. I think it's the 15th and the 16th of October. That was completely sold out, So, but I think a few people had to cancel. So I think there are a few spots left for that. So Cool,
1: well we'll yeah. do our best to when when we make this as a podcast in the next couple of days or a week or so, we'll link to all those things from
2: Great. our yeah. website so that mm-hmm. people can get
1: a direct link there. Um, and Thank you guys, yeah, since we're doing this live, if you're on, say hi. We, yep. it's, it's fun we, knowing we that we've got a live and... audience even though we're not necessarily like sitting in the room together.
2: Yeah, you can see them though, and I can't, right? I can't yes. see anything. You'll yeah. be able to yeah. see the
1: comments, I think, if they pop if in. If not,
0: we will pop them up on the screen. I
1: think on your screen in the upper right-hand corner, there's a little tab that says comments.
2: Oh, right. live comments, they click there.
1: Yep, so Is if it. people comment, you'll be able to see them there, and then I can Oh, there we here. go.
2: Hi from Colorado, hi, Leah. Hey,
1: look, it's on the screen. Oh, that's
2: cute.
1: McEwen's. you guys
2: are sophisticated. And
1: Lindsay says hi. Hello. Lindsay. Oh, Lin- Lindsay says hi. Also, hi
2: Lindsay. Awesome. Cool. Awesome. It's fun to know who's here.
1: Yeah. Yeah. The Great. the Jennifer Finlayson Five Fan Club is showing up.
2: <laughs> the two people. <laughs> no.
1: no, we got okay. more than two. We got more okay, than two. Okay. All right. Okay. Good. All right. Let's, uh, let's. Should we dive into a question?
0: Sure. Let's do let's it. Let's have you read this one because this is from the husband's perspective.
1: Okay. This is a body image question. So. And this is not, remember when we did our last live and how I asked a question for myself?
2: And this is not you. This
1: this, is... No, this one is not me. Although contextually it, it could have been, but it's not. Yeah. yeah. Um, my, my wife and I have been married for several years. Arousal used to come easily, but in the past two years severe depression has taken its toll on my libido. When it's not depression, it's chronic fatigue. Arousal now takes far more effort than it used to. I found things like role play and reading erotica have helped to overcome these hurdles. These are the things that we've that we've done and enjoyed in the past, but have become more prevalent during the times of depression as they seem to provide a shortcut to arousal. This is helpful because as a normally high drive person, I, I want to want it even if my body doesn't react as freely. I don't require them for arousal, but arousal doesn't happen on its own as much anymore. The problem is that my wife has put on weight in recent years, and she's often convinced that my lower libido is due to to this. She often feels like the role play is my way of pretending that she was in better shape or a different person. How can I help her to know that it is a depression issue and that my role plays and erotica are being used to jumpstart my libido and are not meant to replace her? How can I help her to not feel threatened by them?" That's
2: a good question. That's a very noble Mm -hmm. question. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it is a good question. And of course, the tricky thing is, is that you can't really, uh, several of the questions, I think maybe even the third one we were going to look at, is about how do I make my spouse feel a certain way? And I appreciate the desire to do that. How can I reassure her? How can I make her not be anxious about her body or her desirability? And the reality is you can't really. I mean, because if the, the best that you can do is bring your most honest self and your most trustworthy position. And if it's really not true, being able to stand by it not being true is the most helpful thing because it, it may be that your wife needs to confront her own self-rejection and her own challenge of accepting herself in you know the reality of her human experience. And that even if she feels insecure, it may be something that's really up to her to to resolve or to overcome, hmm. um, and I'll say a little bit more about that. But let me maybe go to the first part of the question, which is just first of all, I think that that is not unusual at all. If someone is feeling depressed and feeling, you, you know, I talk about this in the in, in the couples sexuality course that you know, Eros energy is, is to feel alive. It's you feeling engaged in the world. It's your creative energy. It's the, you know, it's all this kind of, when you're in the process of trying to create and do and become, and that's very much connected to eroticism is when we feel alive. And, um, and so depression is the opposite. It's that thanatos energy and it's kind of turning inward and being more, um, in a, um, when you're sort of retreating from the world. So it's not unusual when someone's in a depressive state to find it much harder to be aroused by the everyday realities that they exist in. The beauty of the world is less evident to them. The beauty of their partnership is less evident. The, the Just who they are, you know, their own strengths are less evident. And so, you know, it certainly can be easy to look for more exaggerated versions of eroticism to engage those desires. Um, Now, of course, the best version is to address as best one can the depression, you know, and I know that's sometimes easier to say than to do. But is there something that I can do to actually, you know, deal with my more regressive or or depressive state. And, you know, of course, exercise is a big deal. Getting some input or some counseling can be a really big deal. Um, Just how we are engaged in our lives can often be an antidepressant if we can sort of solve something, address something, create something. And so, you know, when you're in those better places, it's easier to really have that vibrancy and that aliveness in the immediacy of their relationship. But I think You know, barring all that, I think is is with respect to your wife is just to say, just to be honest and say, I really, this really is not about you, and I understand you have your own anxieties or fears about that, and, but I am attracted to you. I do enjoy being with you, and this is not about trying to get away from you. And if it's honest, even if it's hard for her to fully lean into, it she will recognize it as honest mm-hmm. um, and it will be helpful in her own grappling with her self-rejection, you know, and, and, and in the world of women, you know, and men have this too, but I think women get it worse is there's just a very high demand on the aesthetic. And so, you know, for all of us who don't meet that demand, which is even the models themselves, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. it's very, it's very, it can be very easy to be in a self-rejecting place and not allow yourself to feel sexy just for being a beautiful, by beautiful I mean just you're beautiful because you are, because you are a lovely human being and it's hard for us sometimes to extend that understanding of beauty to ourselves as women. Um, And yet it's so foundational to really being at peace with ourselves, rejecting those really rigid ideals but again, you can't you can't make somebody see themselves the way you see them, but you can be honest about seeing them that way. Mm. Mm-hmm. <clears throat>
1: mm-hmm. One of the one of the things that we've been talking about in our house lately is how oftentimes um our inner we have a strong inner critic. Each one of us has a pretty yeah. strong inner critic. I think that's pretty common mm-hmm. amongst most people. And yeah. I think it's really common for us to assume that other people are as critical of us as we are of right. ourselves. Yeah, right. And then we, yeah. and then we get, and then we, when we project those criticisms onto our partner, then we become defensive. That's right. With our partner, to, that's a, right. Of our own criticisms. Yes.
2: Uh huh. That's right. Yeah. There's absolutely no question about that. And yeah. I think um, my sister-in-law said to me once a funny joke where she said, <clears throat> "You know, when you're in your 20s, you're very aware of what everybody thinks about you." And in your 30s, you're trying very hard to fend off what everybody thinks about you. And when you get into your 40s, you realize that nobody's been thinking about you anyway. All time. God, it's so true. <laughs>
1: That's it's, amazing, so you know? true. Yeah. it's so true. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, it
2: kind of exposes our narcissism. And, and, wh-
1: and what a gift I mean, to learn that, that lesson a little early on, you know? Yeah
2: i just remember in the first like month of being married to john and uh you know john comes from a very educated family and and so we were driving he was driving me to school because i was in my phd program and um we just had one car at the time and so he uh some i said something and he corrected my grammar okay now I kind of already had an insecurity about this. Am I intelligent enough for this family, right? So he says, oh yeah, I think actually it's, and John's very kind person. He's not like, you know, you said it wrong. I mean, he's he's very like, as nice about it as anybody could be. He was saying, I think it's actually, you know, you're supposed to say it like this. And by the time I'm getting out of the car, I'm like, "Are you sorry you married me?" You know, (laughs) nothing to do with it. But you know, it's like hitting an insecurity that I had, and so you know, then I'm I'm handling it by the defensiveness and sort of seeing my the self rejection getting projected onto him, and so anyway, so yeah,
1: yeah. I think it 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 might be helpful for husband in this situation to be able to just like acknowledge like call, call that out in a gentle way yeah and say, hey I'm, I'm gonna be really honest with you right now i really think it's my depression that's kind of kicking me into this place and I, I i know you're you may not be feeling great about yourself right now and you might have a little bit of a harsh inner critic and i just don't want to be responsible like i don't want your inner critic to be my voice mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and, and like, I, I love you exactly for who you are. And that could, I, I think give her a nudge to because he's confronting some things obviously about yeah. himself and that could give her a little bit of a nudge to confront some things about herself as well. Yeah.
0: I remember there was yeah. a time when Nate did that to me when I mm-hmm. was expressing what I was frustrated about him mm-hmm. with and he was able to call me out and say, You know, I'm really sorry you're feeling that way, but I also can't be responsible for the story that you're telling yourself right now. Mm -hmm. And that gave me, like he was saying, the nudge to think, oh, this really is the story that I'm telling myself. This is me Mm -hmm. projecting onto Nate. Yeah. So having him tell me that. Was just a gentle nudge in the right direction because
2: yeah, absolutely. Like you, said,
0: you can't really control what yes. your wife is thinking.
2: And and if this husband is sincere, like I really do, I am not not attracted to my wife. Meaning, I'm attracted to her. I don't find that to be a problem. Well, then it's a real gift, and it's certainly I would certainly be straight up and honest about that. I mean, um, I know in the beginning of the marriage, I also sort of was bringing my own anxieties about that, right. and my husband was just able to say like. I find you a hundred percent attractive. I, it is absolutely in you. And, and you could put on 40 pounds and I would still find you attractive. So it was like, and that I, it just allowed me to say, okay, I'm doing this thing to myself that I need to grow out of because I'm limiting my own joy. I'm limiting my own happiness. I'm limiting my ability to receive love from my spouse. So, yeah.
1: Can it's I chase that down a rabbit hole a little bit? I don't want to go down a whole other tangent, but like what if there is some truth to the fact that maybe the attraction has dwindled a little bit? Because I know that's a reality for some couples. Yeah. Um, and, and like uh, yeah, where's the where's the ba- the board the kind of the gray area between being brutally honest in in a tactless way and addressing the issue and being and still like you don't want to lie either. So, yeah,
2: well, you also want to figure out what's the source of the issue, because is it about, you know, did you marry somebody who was fit and took good care of himself or herself? And then through the marriage, they've really just phoned it in and they they are going to seed and they're and they're kind of in an irresponsible position. Because then I think the lack of attraction has some merit in that you may say, I really fully choose you, but you have kind of lost yourself in a mm-hmm. foundational way well it's very hard to be attracted to that because there is a kind of a self-betrayal that you're witnessing and it's mm. being evidenced through their relationship to life and to their body and to you um and so th- that I think I don't know that I would start with hey I'm not attracted I think what <laughs> I might start with is saying you know it feels like, you don't want to sort of take up your responsibility to yourself and to your life. And it's really impacting the marriage cool. and it's impacting kind of the connection we can have because you're in your, you're lost between us. And do I play a role in that? Right. If though you are, because sometimes, so sometimes lack of attraction is about a self portrayal on the part of the person that you don't feel attracted to. And it's, there may be a physical element, but I think there's more, You know, I remember what, in that same conversation, what my husband said to me is, you know, you are attractive to me. And he said, the only thing that would be hard for me is if you were in a self hating position,
1: hmm. yeah. right?
2: That would be harder to find because the lights, the life would go out in a sense. And so it's much harder to find that, you know, attractive and engaging. Um, but I think what happens for a lot of people, though, is they just have a kind of narrow view of love. And and so they, I, I mean, I think it can be easy to not find attractive if you think your spouse just doesn't care. But if you are saying, like, is this about me just not accepting who my spouse is, wanting in a way the superficial that I find engaging or that they look good next to me. And so I'm being critical and I'm in a critical stance. A lot of people I work with do that. They're in a critical stance towards their spouse. They're in a kind of, they want sort of narcissistic reinforcement in the relationship and the aging of their spouse or the fact their spouse has had children or whatever is not readily doing that for them. And so, but they don't sort of look through to the core of the person and really value that person. Uh, Because, you know, that's really, it's that sense of two people who hold a sense of their mattering and the mattering of the other person. That's really the foundational charge of a good sexual relationship. And, you know, you don't want to let go of yourself and not care. I think that can be negligent in its own way in a marriage. But I think, can I really allow room for you to be human and, you know, to gain weight and to have growing gray hair <laughs> like I do and and still you know uh, embrace you as a whole person so I think I would be looking at is this about my narcissism and my selfishness is this about a spouse who's really not caring yeah right and you know sometimes I've said to my spouse like it is hard for me if I feel like you don't get my husband's an engineer mathematic you know what I mean he's not somebody who's fashion conscious and and there are moments where his hair is like not even combed and <laughs>
1: <laughs> hey hey
2: hey <laughs> <laughs> we were at a ward activity and we're sitting there I like a saturday morning breakfast thing yeah and this other couple walks by and he says see john didn't keep comb hit john finlayson didn't comb his hair you know kind of like why didn't you comb oh that's amazing <laughs> yeah that's awesome so you know so there have been times when i've like if you do just a little, it helps a lot, you know, it right. helps a lot. And I think that's okay because it's a way of inviting. It's not like a foundational critique. It's a way of saying, I like having to not remind myself that I love you when I look at you. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good way to
1: put it. Oh, that was well said. <laughs> well, I, think, I think everybody listening sometimes wishes they could just carry a little earbud in their ear that just has a direct a direct line to Jennifer Finlayson <laughs> to just re- help us through some of these conversations and remind us how to think to, to yeah talk yeah to each other. That's awesome.
2: Yeah.
1: yeah. Um, should we jump on to an- another? Sure. Question?
2: Sure. Are it's very can- similar, I think. Yeah.
1: Are you okay if I keep toggling between these screen views? Of I know. Course. Yeah, it's fine. Whatever. You- okay. Whatever cool. you
2: all want is fine. Uh.
1: All right. Uh, all next right. Next question. You want to handle this one?
0: Yes, I will do this one. This feels like I could have written this question, but I didn't. All right. Here it says. Here it says, this is what it says. Thank you for all you do. My husband and I are huge fans of Jennifer Finlayson Fife. We've taken your courses and they've changed our lives for the better. Um, We've been married for 11 years and have two small children. And I'm currently pregnant with our third child. While my husband and I have made great strides in our sexual relationship and I've taken monumental steps to claim my sexuality, I feel that my pregnancy has made me regress. I'm so thankful to be able to carry children, but I do not feel sexually aroused while pregnant. My husband is so kind and tells me I'm beautiful, so the problem is not how he sees me. The problem is how I see myself. I tend to gain a lot of weight during pregnancy, which then takes me about a year to lose. With the weight gain, the fluctuating emotions, and how tired I become, sex is just not something I'm interested in. Body image is a huge factor in this. I would like to be more intimate with my husband without feeling anxiety about my changing body. How can I feel sexual while pregnant? I'm sure I'm not the only woman who feels this way. Girl, I feel you.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it's good. And I was the same way I, you know, I'm on the smaller side, but I would put on like a full 40 plus pounds mm-hmm. in pregnancy. And because I'm is a little smaller, it just, you know, you felt like you had three babies inside. So, right. <laughs> and so it's, and, and so it, it can be, I mean, just for starters, it's such a rapid transition in your own sense of your body. It's changing so quickly. You're getting so much larger, you know, it's, it's it's doing it to you in a way, you know? And so you're along for the ride in a way uh, in pregnancy. And so you have a kind of a self-concept that's in flux, especially for a first, first pregnancy, I think, when you're not accustomed to all those changes. Mm-hmm. And so it can be really kind of challenging, I think, to your sense of yourself. But then I think even more so, and I think this is more true for women than for many men, I think many men can find a pregnant woman you know, a pregnant wife, very attractive. It's sort of this fertility and their, yeah, it's like the fertility and the beauty of this amazing body that can produce another human being and, you know, evidence of the husband's fertility even, you know, and so I think, I think for women, we have these kind of anorexic versions that are the ideal. And so they, and I think because we're given this idea that the maternal is non-sexual, and non-erotic, well, when you look in the mirror, you feel very, very maternal because you are, but often what we then imagine or think is this is against being sexy as opposed to, I think, a much more self-accepting view, which is this is an evidence of my my, uh, profound sexuality and my erotic self. And so we we have a self concept that sometimes motherhood precludes sexiness. Um, so um, there is the other factor which those questioners bringing up is that there is the tiredness and the fatigue, and you know often not being able to do the things in your life that you would normally do that make you feel alive and happy, and and so there is this you know, pregnancy for some can definitely be a labor of love. I mean, it can be a hard nine months for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. So depending on how you relate to pregnancy, because some people never feel more alive than when they're pregnant. um, But for those that really feel burdened by it, or that feels like they just, their ankles are swelling, and they don't feel like themselves, well, I I guess I would just sort of in some ways normalize that it's a challenge. And having some compassion for yourself around the mm. fact that it's not lending itself easily to your sense of your own attractiveness is fair and it's fine. I, I think though you can work with yourself a bit because it sounds like this person's taken the art of desire course and she feels like she's really given herself a lot more room to claim her sexuality. And I think this is just another area where she could invite herself to look at herself differently that my my pregnant body is evidence of its amazingness. It's incredible that this body of mine can produce another human being and it knows what to do. And like mm-hmm. this is a tribute to my body. And I don't need to denigrate it through some idea, some crazy idea of thinness that would be unhealthy right now Mm -hmm. if I were uh, unhealthy for a pregnancy. And I want to learn to really accept and love and see the beauty that is in my body right now. And it's a way of seeing, it's like teaching yourself to see at a higher level and to kind of not let this sort of template that's been pounded into us run the show. Mm -hmm. Like we're, it's like a self-betraying template as opposed to a self-embracing template. The other thing, you know, I remember, You know, when I was like in my second pregnancy and we were trying to have the baby be born and so we were trying to have sex a lot because I wanted that baby to come because I was going to graduate from my PhD program. And so I was telling my sister, I'm like, yeah, we're really trying, you know, drinking all the teas you're supposed to drink, we keep having sex. And she's like, that's amazing that you can have sex that you can feel like having sex. And I'm like, she's like, how can you do that? When you look like you, you know, I'm like walking around
1: <laughs> yeah.
2: like, and she's like, and I said, well, I just imagine I'm skinny. Mm-hmm. And she's like, that is some imagination you've got. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you go. But
2: you know, I think it's okay if it helps you to just imagine, you know, I'm I, in in my mind, in sex, I'm always perkier and younger, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> So and that's okay. It's helpful. And so, you know, I think our, we're naturally drawn to youthfulness and perkiness and so on. And so it's okay to, I think, play with your own fantasy in a sense as a way of, I mean, some people might say that's a self-rejection, but I don't see it like that. It's more mm-hmm. like, you know, I can just go to the ideas that are sexy for me and I can just, Give myself permission in whatever state I'm in to be able to enjoy sexuality and being with my spouse.
0: Well, I feel like life in general is just your perspective. So yes, if the story yeah. you're telling yourself is helping you feel sexier and helping you sure. enjoy it more, then why not? Yeah, absolutely. Yes, 100%.
1: I think. I also think we we sometimes have a negative relationship with fantasy in our culture. Yes, we
2: do. Yes.
1: and and I think it's it's sometimes seen as like a dirty thing or a bad yeah. thing. Yeah. And I think that there's lots of different types of fantasy, and that um, well, fantasy, and what's its purpose? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. What what's its purpose? And yeah, is it helpful? It can be. It definitely just. It, I feel like fantasies are neutral, just mm-hmm. like money is neutral, or just like you know, there's all you know, it's just a tool that yeah. you can use mm-hmm. for good or not good.
2: Yeah, that's right. Exactly, exactly. I talk about this in, again, in the course, in the the couple's sexuality course where, you know, you, human beings are always creating meaning. And, and so fantasy is basically that what are the meanings, essentially, or the stories that create arousal in you. And certainly people can use fantasy as a way to block out the reality of their partner, or as a way to not collaborate in their partnership. And they can also do engage in fantasies that are sort of self-denigrating or denigrating of another person, right? Mm-hmm. So, but like you say, the fact of fantasy is neutral. What is it creating? Because you can also work with fantasy as a way to create more desire and create a story between you and your spouse. It's a kind of intimacy in and of itself. Absolutely. And a way of playing together. You can play with a meaning. And experience different parts of yourself through the playing with that meaning but it's intimate in the sense that you're playing together it's grown-up play right but it's very fun play and it's a way of you know as human beings we want um we want what's the word we want commitment and we want consistency but we also want novelty Mm-hmm. And so in the happiest marriages, there's a way of creating novelty together that doesn't interfere with the bond and the security. Yeah. And so fantasy can be a fun way to do that, which is, you know, I've sometimes said this in some of my workshops, like if, if I'm lying next to my husband in my head somewhere else and, and, you know, he's just touching me, I might, you know, say this is a way to invoke a meaning that I might say, you know, I really should get going you know, so I'm invoking, mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm invoking yeah. the, the uh-huh. meaning of the forbidden Yeah. that, you know, I really shouldn't be here. And then, you know, and so that's yeah. one version, but he might say, no, no, just, just, just one more minute. Just stay. Just one keep, more minute. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> And then, and so then as soon as it's in the forbidden, well, I love the forbidden. So mm-hmm. <laughs> I love playing with the forbidden. So, so then right. it's immediately like my body responds to that and so on. So it's like, it, but it's a way of coming together and pretending and, being ridiculous together
1: (laughs) yeah we get it like one of one of i think one of the things that we enjoy doing is saying like hey let's pretend this is like before we were married yeah you know and like we can make out but we maybe like can't take each other's clothes off or touch each other in the in the places that we wouldn't touch each other if we were dating
2: exactly exactly and it it builds
1: up this tension and it builds up this kind of like sense of forbidden and it's always like super fun and sexy like it's a exactly way we're not betraying right. our values and we're not betraying who we are, but we're yeah. inviting a sense of playfulness, which I think, yeah. is, I think playfulness is one of those things that kind of makes you human.
2: 100%, and you lose your
1: playfulness, and you lose kids get your it and,
2: and adults often let go of it. Except, that's yeah. right. And you know, the barriers to access are a big part of eroticism. And so when marriage makes sex very legal, right. And even obligatory, mm-hmm. now you're supposed to have sex. That's how a lot of women, can relate to it some men too, but you know, then then immediately it takes it out of the adventure of it. So playing with some of those ideas can be very helpful for people. Love it. Yeah. So
0: going back to this idea of pregnancy affecting mm-hmm. um yep. sex life, I found for me, uh the nausea was an issue.
2: Yeah. And
0: then I think just the changing of the hormones was yeah, an issue. Sure. So a hundred what, percent. That's what right. can someone do when it's like physical things that are affecting. Yeah, I'm glad you're bringing
2: that up because, Mm -hmm. and people have, there's a quite a wide range, like some people are just deathly ill, okay, Mm -hmm. and thinking about having sex is just not going to be happening because if the body's physically ill, right, that sex is going to come, you have to be in a healthy position actually really to want to have sex, it's a secondary thing. the other thing is some people have so much hormonal, they're, they're sensitive to the hormonal fluctuations, and it can really kill libido for some people, independent of any self-perception they might have. Mm-hmm. Some women actually have a much greatly increased arousal because they have increased blood flow throughout the whole body. And this is also in the vulva area. And so then they feel much more just what many men feel is kind of arousal when you're not even thinking about sex, you know, just like you see your body is aroused. And so, so there is that whole range and I don't, I'm not enough of an expert to know, if you're having the kind of hormonal sensitivities and shifts, um, you know, that kind of is a foundational issue. And so it probably would mean talking to your OBGYN about that, that you are having a lot of a, of a physical response. And, and I don't know how much can safely be done to kind of stabilize your body's response to it. So that is definitely another factor. And, you know, a lot of it's just being kind to yourself in all this yes. because it's, it's a lot of change and a lot of uh, even change in self-perception and perception of who you are as a couple and added stress and, you know, marriage is an adventure. Yeah. And so you have to sort of see it as such, <laughs> like, you know, sure. there's a lot of things that we can't control and can we stay compassionate to ourselves and each other in all of this. Mm-hmm. And that
0: was something that we just kind of had to do was when we were in the throngs of the nausea and even having him cuddle up to me was
2: yeah, sure. too
0: much. We just had to have that conversation of, Hey, this isn't going to be forever. This yep. is the next little while. Yeah. And, um, just kind of write a little compassion. Yeah. Yep. A hundred percent. But speaking to it, not just avoiding the issue, but actually having a conversation about it was really
2: helpful. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. All yeah. right. Good. Should we go on to the next question? Sure. Should we look at anything that people have said here?
1: Uh, yeah, we see. got Mike said, uh, it's like movie. Uh, this is from earlier. Oh Yeah where she is heavy, but super attractive because of yes. her confidence, but Precisely. she's confident when she has an accident. Yeah. That's
2: right. So
0: exactly. it was her confidence the attitude to right. her attractiveness.
1: Because
2: she couldn't see how she was actually seen, but she was yeah. so confident. It's lovely. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: And then um, Amanda said, um, I like having to not remind myself that I, I love you when I look at you. That was your little quote. Oh yeah. Yeah.
2: Basically, yeah, exactly.
1: care goes a long way.
2: Yeah, <laughs> that's
1: right. <laughs> it's it does. so true.
2: Yep. Exactly.
1: Um, should we, so we have, we have another, one more question to go through. Should we let the audience decide what we talk about? Sure. Or you,
2: sure go for it. I'm happy you, to answer either one.
1: Would you guys rather hear a question about pornography or a question about polygamy? Um, Jeez, con- contextually. Uh,
2: yeah. Maybe say what the question
1: is. Yeah. Like contextually the question about polygamy is more about um, she said, or he, or she says, I only learned about Joseph Smith's polygamy, the doctrine of polygamy as explained in the scriptures and its extent in our temple dealings about 15 years ago. It had a profound impact uh, effect on how I view myself, my marriage and God. And I'm fearful of dying and resent this view of women. When I ask uh, family or friends, how they cope with this, they say they just don't think about it. Uh, I find myself trying to be perfect. So I don't get replaced. Uh, can you help me? Excuse me. Wow. Just drank my Dr. Dr. Pepper, Pepper just <laughs> snuck up on <behind> me again. <laughs> Uh, Can you help me move past this fear so that I can more fully enjoy my marriage? And then the one about pornography. um, Oh, we're getting mixed. Polygamy, pornography, (laughs) polygamy, pornography, polygamy, polygamy. Polygamy. Uh, Let's
2: hear the pornography question. Make sure people still agree with it. Yeah. Okay.
1: Okay. That was up here. And the pornography question is several years ago, I told my wife I was having a problem with pornography and I was able to get help and have not, and had not viewed pornography in over three years. While I'm doing better. Our relationship has not improved. My wife still gets triggered and will withdraw from me emotionally and physically. I will respond by withdrawing as well. During these bad times, we will go multiple weeks without sex. It seems like my wife is withholding sex as punishment for any behavior um, when we finally do have sex, it seems like she is having sex to reward good behavior and not because she actually wants sex. How do I help her stop using sex as an incentive for punishment or punishment mm-hmm. or, or yeah, incentive or punishment.
2: Okay.
1: Gosh, it's like back
0: and forth. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe we <laughs> just, we'll, we'll, we'll do, save one question. We'll do.
1: For... Yeah. We'll do one of these next time. Mm-hmm. So should we go with, a, it let's, looks like
0: polygamy, let's go with the
1: polygamy is question. The majority
2: vote. Okay. And we'll, and we'll do polygamy we'll and then we'll, we'll do porn. Maybe next time we'll do a
1: all pour. That was a fun little experiment we just did.
0: That's <laughs> well, okay, good, good to know that both topics are important to people. Yeah, well, I'm interested in this polygamy aspect. It's not something that we hear talked about very often because it's yeah. like she said in here when when I ask my friends or family, they just say they don't think about it or right. that everything will work out in the end. But
2: sometimes not that kind of an answer is not right. not enough. Right, right, exactly. Do you mind just reading the question now again? Yeah. Because I can can read it really, again. really yeah, think about it. Yeah, i it
1: uh-huh.
0: I only learned about Joseph Smith's polygamy, the doctrine of the doctrine of polygamy, as explained in the scriptures and its extent in our temple dealings about fifteen years ago. It has had a profound effect on how I view myself, my marriage, and God. I'm fearful of dying and resent this view of women. When I ask family or friends how they cope with this, they say they just don't think they just don't think about it or say they know in the next life it'll be perfect. I find myself trying to be perfect so I don't get replaced. Can you help me move past this fear so I can more fully enjoy my marriage?
2: Okay, it's a really, really, really important question, um, yeah. and um, I think the first of all, there's a book that Carolyn Pearson wrote a few years ago called "The Ghost of Eternal," the Ghost of Eternal Polygamy. I, I'm not saying quite right. I think that's right. The Ghost of Eternal Polygamy. Eternal's in there somewhere. Ghost is in there somewhere. I don't mean to be dismissive about the book, but she she writes about this kind of haunting reality over the psyches of a lot of LDS women, where there is this anxiety that this is the higher law. And this really does, even though we don't talk about it much anymore, this is the defining um, the defining framing of marriage for God. And people that are good can get their heads around it. And those of us that aren't good don't like it. And that's how I think a lot of people... Who feel about it. Now, I do think it's true. There's a lot of Latter-day Saints who who don't really think about it. They just believe, you know what, I'm not going to worry about it, and I'm sure God is a compassionate God, and it's going to be fine. And they, in some ways, they don't take it very seriously to their benefit, um, I think. But I've certainly worked with other people who take their faith very seriously, and so they take these ideas seriously, and then they really do impact how they feel about being a woman and about how God must see them. And so they really get into these binds because on the one hand, they have a sense of God loving them and caring for them and that they matter. But then they have this other idea that the actual architecture of marriage in the most, you know, in God's view is that one woman is not enough for one man Hmm. and that women um, you know, a good man is worthy of multiple women. That's that kind of idea. And so there's kind of two versions of this. I, I did a podcast with Carolyn Pearson if somebody wants to listen to more thinking on this topic, which I think is called intimacy and in mormon marriages. Uh, if you Google my name and you Google that title, you would find that podcast. But um, but two of two versions that I've seen in my clinical work was, uh, is a woman, this is one version of it, where she just, like the person writing this question, just was terrified of her husband. In fact, I've had many women who talk about this. They're terrified of their husband dying. I'm sorry, of them dying prior to their husband because then he would remarry and then they would be forced to share him. And then it would actively interfere with, how much they wanted to open their heart up to their spouse now, because they felt there was always this option, this legitimate option for him to pull in another woman, right, and to, uh, and for that to actually happen at some point. And so it really, you know, and one particular couple I worked with, it just would really upset her. She worked in the temple, she took all these ideas very seriously, and her husband would say to her, I promise you, I don't want to have another wife. I want to, it to be just you and me. And like while she trusted that and she believed him, she really had a hard time getting her head around who is God that God thinks that's okay. I, another version of it, and this is a darker version that I, where the husband is actually talking to the wife about the future and what kind of second, third, and fourth wife she might be interested in including in their marriage in the next life. Yeah. Okay. And you know, this one particular client you know was going and talking to her state president about the fact that, you know, my husband thinks this way. And her state president was just like, "Oh, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it." But mm-hmm. this is this fundamental kind of inequality that's operating in the marriage. And in my view, that's a really big deal because if if that's if if you're not on equal footing, you can't create an intimate marriage. Yeah. Meaning when women 100 years ago couldn't vote, couldn't own land, couldn't earn money in any similar fashion that a man could, you can't really have an intimate partnership because one has way more power than the other one does in the marriage. So you can't collaborate. I mean, I don't mean that everybody was abusive, every man was abusive, but you don't have a kind of foundational equal footing that is fundamental to the ability to create an intimate, open-hearted partnership because there's a architectural inequality that's built right in. And and you know, so I think one of the things I talk about a lot in my relationship course is that a lot of times people have really created a psychological inequality. The man is this it's not always the man, but one person in the marriage is the dominant one, the strong one. What they want happens or they dominate through their insecurities and anxieties. What I need, feel, think, everybody must do and accommodate. And whenever you have a system that revolves more around one person, it creates unhealthiness throughout the marriage. So, so anyway, so I, gosh, I feel like I'm talking about myself a lot tonight. <laughs> I don't know why, but <laughs> I, I know, you know, I'm somebody no who, I, no complaints, okay. I didn't get married till I was 29 years old and A lot of people were worried about me, (laughs) and I think one of the reasons why I didn't was I was terrified of that foundational inequality. I wanted to be married, I wanted to be loved, I wanted to have a family, but I was really afraid of locking myself into something where I was not going to really have equal footing, and hence the name. Okay, Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah, uh, the so. Um, Meaning I didn't just take my husband's name, we took each other's names. And so um, when I um, really, I dated John for three years before we got married. And I really think for me, when I look back on that time, that what was really happening for me is I was, um, I was getting more, I was eradicating the doctrine of polygamy from my heart. That's what was happening. I mean, it, that's a kind of broad way of saying what I mean by this, but I I had a stronger and stronger clarity within me and in my relationship with God that a, that the highest version of marriage was a true partnership and that I could be a true partner and that I could occupy that position confidently. And I could because of the kind of person John was, for sure, but also that I could Confidently see myself in a different way. But that's very much the kind of internal work I was doing to be able to really step in and truly choose Him and be chosen by Him. And so, I, you know, I'm not going to, polygamy may have served a purpose for a time, it may have had a larger purpose in the building of the kingdom of God. But I think very much the way that Eugene England wrote about in one of his early essays that the highest version of marriage is one of one man and one woman, uh, a, a really equal partnership, even if polygamy had, has had a, any kind of a utilitarian value. I think it interferes with the larger goal of intimacy in marriage. Mm-hmm. So it means giving yourself permission to wrestle with your own understanding of God, and of yourself. Um, you know, I know as a as a child, I I had this sense of God who loved me and valued me, and 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 then I learned about polygamy, and it kind of was like, wait, <laughs> maybe I misunderstand who I am, and it really I had this division that I really did wrestle with for a long time until I got more confident in my experience of God. I'm really glad that you
0: framed it in this way that kind of requires taking back your own personal authority and yes. in, in your, with your faith and with your testimony and with your belief, yes. because I think it can make some people uncomfortable to think like for me personally, I just don't believe in polygamy. That's just not yeah. something that I choose to believe in. And yeah. I don't, Again, I think that that might make some people uncomfortable,
1: but yeah. it's something
0: that you just have to be able to wrestle within yourself, yep, and come to terms with it and trust that the spirit will help you with your own personal authority yes. to to find that.
2: Well, that and movement. something that happened on my mission was that one of the things I really got a testimony of was that God valued my honest pursuit of truth over a kind of blind compliance
0: Mm -hmm. to
2: an idea. And that, that doesn't mean, you know, I, I've always been a relatively compliant person. That is to say I'm happy to go along if it's not going against something foundational in me. But I, you know, that really gave me permission to be an honest pursuit because if I even think I, even if I get, I'm sure I've gotten lots of things wrong. I'm confident. Mm. Okay. <laughs> right. Because I'm just a flawed human in a process here. I know I've gotten lots of things wrong. Um, but there's all kinds of things I still can't even see that I've gotten wrong. Yeah. And I still believe that that's okay with God. What God values is intention. You yeah. know, I think about this in parenting. What What constitutes a good parent is not a parent who gets everything right because you can't. You won't. I mean, first of all, you've never done it before, and each child you love is unique in their own way. And you also come with your own blind spots and your own history, and you're often doing your best, and it may not seem like it's very good, okay? But what I think is your best is that you're willing to honestly and earnestly pursue the good, even if you do it imperfectly, uh, because the it's about your willingness to repent to see, to try, to strive. It's like you're reaching for the good, even if imperfectly, that in and of itself creates goodness. That in and of itself is an act of faith. And that's the best we have down here as human beings in a world in which we are relative, looking through a glass darkly. But it's that pursuit that matters. And I really, really believe in a God who values that because it's been my experience and then when you do start to to live more in the truth you get to taste the fruit of that you know it because of what it creates in your life so i think we don't need to be so afraid of am i getting this right or wrong because we have limited understanding but what do i really believe feels true and feels right and feels godly and you know and and to tolerate that imperfect process i love that yeah, that's
0: phenomenal. That is a phenomenal way to frame that.
1: I, I think it's relevant to. I think it's relevant, just really quickly, to mention that we kind of call ourselves the children of Israel, and the word Israel means one who wrestles with God. Ah,
2: uh, yeah.
1: And like we are by by, yes. we kind of have given ourselves this title, or or God has given us this title of. We are the children of uh, who wrestle with God. Like we're supposed yes. to wrestle with things. Yeah. Like we're not supposed to. We're not the children of people who go with the flow or the children yes. of people who just obey what we're told. We we're supposed to wrestle with things. Like that's. I, yes. I think one of the one of the hardest one of the things that I've learned in recent years in my life is all growth requires resistance. Yes. And there and there's a lot of people who will go to the gym and they'll face resistance with their muscles or they'll go to therapy and they'll face resistance with their emotions. Uh, They'll go to school and face resistance with their mind but then facing resistance with their faith and confronting things that are difficult and challenging is something that they shy away from.
2: Yeah, we feel like we're doing something wrong because if we really were faithful, we would know everything because that's sort of a narrative we have that I think interferes, yes. Or
0: we wouldn't question. Which is why I really
1: appreciate interviews like this with you because you do bring forward this opportunity for people to wrestle in a safe space. Like we get to talk about conversations like polygamy and we're not just going to rub it off and give it the easy Sunday school answer that things will just work out in heaven and we just don't know everything. Like... It's okay to wrestle. It's we're supposed to wrestle. Yes, um, I love this comment by Amanda. She mm-hmm. says, "I think it affects us uh, like the polygamy conversation because we lack counter information about our heavenly mother.
2: Yeah,
1: it would be easier to dismiss if her identity was a little yeah. bit more clear, just as heavenly fathers is. Yes, and she goes on and says, um, "I think the idea that it, that polygamy exists." at all is very troubling to some of us. The idea that our heavenly mother isn't equal in power, purpose, and ability to our heavenly father is concerning, especially when we talk about how we're supposed to be equal in marriage. Yes, right, and
2: we don't, and and that's a kind of archetype that represents a foundational inequality. Yeah. And so it is a a problem. I mean, the beauty of our theology is we believe in a mother and father in heaven, and we talk about them as co-equals and co-creators, but the way that at least culturally and, you know, formally we've related to this idea is in that kind of Victorian traditional idea yeah. of the man's out front, the woman's background. And, um, and that certainly, that model has certainly been evident through the polygamy discussion. Yeah. But, you know, here we are in an imperfect process and Zion is something we create. Uh, You know, it's a it's something that we're going to grow into if we can stay open and keep growing as a people keep wrestling with God. I was uh, listening to something last night. Uh, It's a program on BYU TV called Artful. And I'm going to destroy this artist's name, which I feel really bad about. I think it's Brian Keschnick or something like that I think he's a fairly popular LDS artist,
1: Mormon artist. you nailed it <laughs> <laughs> I
2: just I feel bad because he's. I don't want to like I can't say his name right now but uh he was talking about this idea of um you know wrestling that the creative process even in art is not you just look at a blank canvas and wait for revelation to come that instead you're in this this sort of conversation with the universe, you're wrestling. And he says, you know, inspiration and creativity, and even, you know, this sort of a divinity that comes through you through the struggle. He's like, that's when the greatness comes. And so it's like, you know, a lot of times we're waiting for answers. And I think God really wants us to roll up our sleeves and wrestle and struggle and, and, take a position right because often you can't know if it's right or wrong until you dare to take a position yeah. right in, in your marriage in your life you know and so I think God expects us to take more honest uh, you know heartfelt risk in the world um as a way of being co-creators of goodness with with our parents in heaven right
0: And again, like you said, when when you take a stance, sometimes that's when you learn. Okay, maybe this is the right stance. That's right. Maybe this is the right stance, and to not be afraid of taking that first step. That's right. Um, Because I know in my life, sometimes I've been paralyzed by that indecisiveness just because of that fear of making the
2: wrong choice. Exactly. When, yeah, that's exactly right. As I think, perfectionism is like counterfeit righteousness because perfectionism interferes with the faith, like the pursuit of and tolerance of getting things wrong that's foundational yeah. to growing.
1: So hmm. let's take that statement right there and loop it right back into just like putting a button or a bow on this yeah. question. So this woman who's facing polygamy, which we've done a really good job of, well, I mean, in the time that we've been given, we've kind of yeah. played with it a little bit. So if this if this woman who asked this question is feeling pressure to be perfect, if she's feeling pressured that or, or fear that she might be replaced, yeah. Good, what, is the, what is the wrestle that she needs to 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 take on in order to maybe feel a little bit more peace or stability in this relationship? Well, it's
2: just kind of a. Yeah, I'm glad you're bringing it back because I got to answer the question. Um, but I I think that what in some ways I'm saying is that. I think she owes herself some challenge to the view of God she's been handed Mm -hmm. and that the wrestle might be of who does she think God is because there's something in the view she's been handed that doesn't sit well with her soul and she needs to, you know, a lot of us are worshiping a God we've been handed, Mm. not God. (laughs) Yeah. And so that wrestle allows you to start to know a truer understanding of God, even if the God in, you know, the God in my head is truer than the one that I wrestled with at age 12, mm-hmm. but it's still not God. <laughs> that is, you know, and so coming to know God is, is part of your own development. But I think the fact that the the woman writing the question is saying something is not right with my soul. The idea that I have to like earn my husband's love There's something wrong with this that I am anxiously trying to make sure I don't get replaced that even if you don't ever get replaced or, or someone else added to the marriage and that way, there's still something foundationally off about being in a relationship to your spouse in that frame. And so I think that it's worth thinking about, is this really a true idea because it doesn't seem to be yielding good fruit.
1: Yeah. Is this, it, it may be less about you being imperfect or having issues because you can't tolerate th- or don't like this doctrine. And it could be more that the, the definition of God that you've been handed is actually mistaken. Not that there's something wrong with you.
2: Yes. Right.
1: I love that. I love that, that yeah. we can shift that away from I'm broken. Uh, yeah. The I'm broken towards this limited. Uh, there's a podcast we listened to a couple of years ago with Rob Bell and a, some theologist from Ireland. He was amazing. And the thing that really stuck with me is they said, you know, we believe in this God who is like all powerful and our creator and has like we, in the moment we put a definition on God is the moment we put limits on God.
0: Yeah. We put him in a box.
1: And and right. and as members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, we are very good at defining God and putting God in a box. Yeah. When That's when true. the moment you put God in a box is the moment that you put limits on God, and the moment you put limits on God is the moment he stops being God.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. Yeah, it's good. And as human beings, we're good at boxes. And, yeah, <laughs> you know, are. we we, talk, we don't tolerate ambiguity well. And we we don't do compassion well, even to ourselves, because no. seldom are we broken. I mean, usually, there's just something we haven't yet learned that would allow us to be more freed up. And so the 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 courage to pursue a truer view, a truer view of yourself, even often takes tremendous courage, but the re- the reward is the joy of living in greater truth. Hmm. So yeah. Love it. I love that. Thank you.
1: As always a wonderful you. conversation.
2: Yeah. My yeah. pleasure to be here. It was great.
1: We like doing this with you. And next time we talk, we'll talk about porn.
2: We'll we'll start with <laughs> the, we Which is something that we that that have never
1: with something that we've never talked with you about. I don't know. You've probably done past Asking Mormon Sex Therapists where you have yes, porn. This sure. specific question is a really yeah the, that's I'm a good one to, it's a good
2: one yeah maybe we can we can go from the heights of spiritual pursuit to porn
1: <laughs> <laughs> but you know there's we'll probably uncover some heights of spiritual pursuit yeah. in, in, within that conversation as well
2: i'm sure we will so that would
1: be awesome good. well thank you All very right. much okay. and uh, we'll publish this on the podcast feed soon yep. and thanks to everybody who tuned in live we had a good 20-25 people here hanging out with us Fun. listening to this conversation so if you Great. enjoyed it share it Thanks for tuning in, everybody.
2: Yeah. Thank
1: you.
0: I hope you enjoyed the episode.
1: It's hard not to enjoy an episode with Jennifer Finlayson.
0: It's true. And if you have questions you want to ask her for upcoming episodes, just go to mormonmarriages.com slash ask, ask. And there ask, you can submit your questions.
1: Uh, and just a quick reminder, uh, we've got something really cool coming up that you may not have heard about. It's called The Epic Wives Experiment. We've done, I've done it like three times now this year. We've, I put it on and we've had over almost a thousand women participate. And it is just an amazing experience. If you're feeling a little stressed, overwhelmed, burned out, kind of like uh, you don't feel like your normal, vibrant self, this is a great opportunity for you to come spend time with me and Laura Heck, who is a... Certified Marriage and Family Therapist and a Certified Gottman Therapist. She's incredibly well trained and this is only for women. And the results that we have been getting have been awesome.
0: It's been cool to watch.
1: Yeah, it's just amazing to see like these wives come in. on kind of feeling a little exhausted and strained and within even just a couple of days a lot of these women are are walking away from the Epic Wives Experiment with more connection you know their husbands are more invested they're sharing the weight more we had in the last in the last one that we did we had one woman her husband bought her flowers for the first time in years another woman um her husband started baking her cookies like unsolicited and she's like my husband doesn't bake and uh like another wife her husband was like hey i'd like to start making dinner because i can tell this stresses you out and they were just following the prompts and the experiments that we were giving them um, in that first week or two and they're just by changing their own behavior their husbands suddenly wanted to invest more and wanted to participate more in in the relationship and so if you're in that position right now where you're like okay i really you know just want to take my marriage to the next level or i'm feeling a little bit stressed and overwhelmed life isn't what i thought it would be i just want to invite you to come check out the epic marriage or epic Wives experiment excuse me it's EpicWivesExperiment.com and um, we'd love to have you join us.
0: When is that? Coming up in September? We start,
1: yeah, we start September 14th. Okay. So sign up before then so you can get access to the bonus content. There's like a whole week's worth of, of bonus videos and training that I put together. So if you sign up now, you can get an early start on that and then show up super prepared for the Epic Wives experiment.
0: Awesome. We sure love you guys. Thanks for sticking with us through it all. And maybe next time we publish one, we'll introduce you to Baby Bagley. Oh, no. <laughs> That's going to be amazing.
1: <laughs> okay, guys. All right. Bye. Have a
0: good one.